0: Step back, doors closing. From WAMU 88.5 in Washington, this is Metropocalypse. The Washington Metro was once the gold
1: standard of public transit. If I feel that the system is unsafe, then I will take the actions to make it safer. Read it and cringe. Metro released the final
2: safe track plan today. That's the year-long rail reconstruction schedule that will affect all lines. Now I'm, you know, more furious, I think, than anything. That's our Metro system.
0: I'm Martin DeCaro. I cover transportation for WAMU.
2: And I'm Martine Powers, transportation reporter for Politico.
0: And this is a podcast about Metro, Wamata, the second busiest subway system in the country, in crisis, and how it will affect all of our lives.
2: And for this inaugural episode, we're taking our podcast out of the warm confines of WAMU studio, and we're going on a field trip.
0: Hey, we're starting our first episode right out here at East Falls Church Metro Station on the Orange and Silver Lines. You might call this ground zero for the coming maintenance surges, part of the Safe Track program that starts in June. There will be continuous single tracking between here and Boston, the next station over, heading toward D.C. for about two weeks and it will disturb and disrupt commutes end to end on the Orange and Silver Lines.
2: So the whole point of the Safe Track program is to try to do three years' worth of heavy maintenance and, right. and smush it into one year, and that's a good thing for riders in terms of keeping people safe. You know, we're seeing all these huge fires and arcing insulator incidents, and they're trying to prevent those things from happening in the future. But that also means that people's commutes are going to be radically changed, and a lot of folks don't really know how they're going to get around when they're facing these, you know, these shutdowns and single tracking. Our customers, we're holding
1: here. We have. Trains holding at every station from here.
2: That'll try, but we will be moved momentarily. That's what's called Thank commu- you for your patience.
0: That's what's called the new normal. Commuting is one thing, people will find a way to get to work or just stay home. It's the non commute trips.
2: Yeah, exactly. People who work in the service industry, people who, you know, can't just say, like, oh, I'll work on my computer from home because that's not possible for them. I and mean, those are the people who I think are going to be most radically affected and who may may or may not have employers who are going to be sympathetic to their plight, you know, that they show up to work an hour late because they say, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get on the metro, but... Um
0: and non-commute trips, meaning day-to-day errands, going to the store, picking up your dry cleaning, going out at night... For a commute, you have to get into work at some point, so you get up an hour earlier, or you drive, or whatever telework. But for you know going to the grocery store, I mean, I don't really have a car; I rely on the bus and train every single day. I know oh, you
2: don't have a car. Yes, oh, I'm wow, a car-free you're person. You're a true Metro loyalist.
0: <laughs> I am on Metro quite I don't, I don't feel unsafe. Although I got to tell you, these late, late uh, these recent incidents are in the back of my mind. Stand back closed. I think about what I would do. Should smoke start filling a rail car? I have thought about that, and I've talked about that with some of my friends. That they should be aware of what they would do if smoke enters a train.
2: Yeah, I think about that from time to time now. That you know, would I like? Do I have a bottle of water on me that would you know help in a situation if we were stopped in the middle of a tunnel and there was smoke and you know people were starting to panic? I mean, it's it's so weird that your mind sort of goes there, but I just think that we've heard about so many of these incidents now that of psychologically prepare yourself for like what could happen because it, it can happen it's happened to a lot of people
0: yeah what did it for me was this smoke incident up at friendship heights on the red line a couple mm-hmm. months ago when i interviewed people who are on the train apparently a metal piece of a train fell off and made contact with the third rail so it caused flashing and explosions i don't know if we can call them explosions but mm-hmm. the people on board the train thought something was blowing up yeah and smoke started to pour in and they said people started to panic and they started climbing over seats and trying to rush to the back of the train and that might never happen to you but i've thought about it
2: yeah no, that's awful i mean it's i think that people i think you hear about these incidents and you know read about them in the newspaper or whatever and it's easy to not realize how scary they can be in the moment um especially when people are concerned about you know both the safety of the system but also like terrorist attacks or whatever other awful things can happen when you're on a public transit system and that you know when people start to panic in those situations that it really can, things can escalate a lot more quickly than I think people expect and that's why some of this stuff is so serious and so I think uh, traumatizing to the people who experience them.
0: That's Martin Powers, I'm Martin DeCaro, and you're listening to Metro Apocalypse. It's a new project from WMU. We're exploring the new normal on Metro. Fifteen maintenance-related surges that'll affect every line starting June through spring next year. We plan to use this podcast as a chance to explore what's happening week in and week out. We need your stories and feedback to do just that. Please send us your questions and your observations about your morning and afternoon commutes. To Metro at WAMU.org or join our Metro Apocalypse Facebook group. When we continue, we're going to hop off the orange line to explore a question from a WAMU listener. And we'll also get into the weeds to explore Metro's dysfunctional relationship with Congress. Stay tuned.
1: Hi, it's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianeream.org/ Bookclub.
2: I'm Katie Pearson and I'm a graphic designer in D.C. My question is, if Metro wants people to use its services more, how come the cost to ride is so expensive? The prices probably might be there now because of the repairs that are going on in the future, but it's almost like we're paying for their mismanagement of the system. I'm Rebecca Brenner and I'm a copywriter in Tysons. Coming in to Tysons, traffic is astronomical when you're driving, so I know lots of people are actually going to this area, but on the train, I I never am without a seat. So if they're charging $7 round trip, but the cars are only a quarter full of what they could be, if they even charge just $5 round trip and had half the cars filled up, they would make more money. That's why I don't understand why they don't lower the price to get more ridership.
0: This is Metro Apocalypse, and Metro has a ridership problem, meaning ridership has been going down. Mass transit systems in other cities are seeing a surge in ridership. New York City, San Francisco, they're setting records. But Metro's ridership peaked about a decade ago and since then has been in steady decline for a variety of reasons. One of them has been poor service and the cost. Right, You see the level of service you're getting and you realize that maybe it's not worth your money if, say, you're paying more than $5 one way during the peak travel period. And Metro's ridership numbers were going down even before the recent safety and reliability issues that led the new general manager to order the safe track maintenance plan from now through next spring, where service is going to be disrupted even more. So Katie and Rebecca's questions highlight an awkward situation. During the maintenance surges, you're still going to be paying peak fares. And on top of that, Metro actually doesn't want you to try to take the train unless you absolutely have to during safe track, well, because there's going to be fewer trains to board. It's a physical impossibility to squeeze as many people onto fewer trains. So I put Katie and Rebecca's questions to Metro Board Chairman Jack Evans. He's also a member of the D.C. Council, and here's what he had to say.
1: Um, As far as lowering fares, uh, I'm going to ask the board to take a look at it. Uh, That's a a dicey issue. Uh, If we lower fares, the jurisdictions are going to have to pay more money. And uh, so that's something that, uh, given my $130 million or $150 million shortfall already, that that makes a problem. But I certainly understand the the merits of doing it and the argument for doing it. Uh, I don't know that I can do it, though. Riders believe it's a case of
0: fairness that if trains are going to run once every 18 minutes or once every 24 minutes during all this
1: maintenance work, then they should get a break on rush hour fares. Yeah, and and I agree with that. Uh, the question is, how do I make up the money? Again, with a shortfall of $150 million right out of the box, if you cut fares, you're know, are adding maybe another $10, $15, 20000000 million to that. And your local jurisdictions will have to pick up that cost. And so, again, as I go around and speak, and, and any individuals who, who believe that need to approach their uh, county councils or city councils or whoever they are to make sure that they're willing to make up the difference. A year from now when the maintenance program is
0: over and we're looking ahead at the next budget, etc., Will it be time to maybe revisit
1: the idea of changing the fare structure altogether to possibly a flat fare system? Absolutely. Uh, I, I would revisit that tomorrow. I actually have uh, our CFO looking at it. You know, what What would it cost the system in the short term and in the long term? See, my view, in the long term would make up for what we lose in the short term. If you had a, uh, a $2 flat fee for the whole area, people would be hanging on the outside of the trains. Uh, It would be such a good deal. And so we could increase our revenue. But, you know, you always have that initial shortfall when you uh, change a system like that. But now's the time. You know, the crisis promotes opportunity. So if we're ever going to do it, now's the time to do it.
0: So what do you think? Let us know about Metro's fare situation and send us more questions to explore. Metro at WAMU.org. Back after this.
2: You're listening to Metro Apocalypse, a podcast about Metro. And today, we're out on the Orange Line.
0: So Martine, you're on the Hill a lot. You know, Metro's problems are not unique. Uh, what we're dealing with this morning, stop and go, stop and go. People across the country are dealing with that every day.
2: Well, Metro's problems are particularly bad, but I think that part of the reason why they're grabbing so many headlines and why people are hearing about this all over the country is that it's this symbol of... The infrastructure that hasn't been maintained, you know, both here and in lots of other major cities. Boston deals with a lot of these issues, New York deals with a lot of these issues. You have these public transit systems that have been considered reliable and integral to people's lives for, for decades, um, but that just in the last you know five or ten years have started to really struggle because they haven't been maintained, because there hasn't been an adequate amount of funding to rebuild different parts of the line or to do um, track work. And so uh, though metro's the sexiest example because it's Washington and it's the nation's capital and you know a symbol for everything that's happening in our country. But I think if you talk to folks on the Hill, they say that like they're all experiencing these problems in their, in their homes constituencies.
0: Yeah, infrastructure across the board, not just transit systems. Uh, the Bridges, federal,
2: highways.
0: Federal Transit Administration puts the maintenance backlog nationwide for transit at $86 billion. This, is, this isn't just deferred maintenance or willful neglect. Some of these systems, like BART system, which is in San Francisco, Bay Area Rapid Transit, that was built uh, about four years before, or opened four years before Metro opened. They have stuff that's simply at the end of its useful life. Uh, Their power cabling is one issue, just like Metro. These are original power cables, maintained over the years, but they need to be replaced. They're 40 years old.
2: And you have this recognition in Congress that that a lot of these systems are struggling and that they need, that. The money isn't there to do the kind of work that needs to be done to get them back on track. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of distrust too of WMATA, of um, of other transit agencies, that they're not using money wisely, that they are not using it to to tackle the biggest problems. Main Square,
1: your doors will open on the right.
2: And so the same dynamic that's happening here where you have members of Congress saying, like, look, we need to see improvement before we'll even start to have a discussion about giving you more money. I think that's reflective of, like, the larger issue, which is that, you know, as much as every congressman from here to sunday will say you know infrastructure is a big challenge for a country that you know our nation's roads and transit and and bridges are crumbling that there is a resistance to really putting money where those concerns are because they think that it's that money isn't being spent well
0: we were both at the hearing Recently on Capitol Hill about the state of good repair and safety on Metro, uh, Representative Peter DeFazio, Democrat from Oregon, made the point, underfunding is the problem. Many Republicans disagreed with him and pointed to mismanagement. I think it's a combination of both, but even Democrat Eleanor Holmes Norton from the district, right here in the district, said Metro doesn't have the credibility to ask for more money. So. well, Martine, it's been real. We've been on this train for about 40 minutes, uh, stop and go, stop and go, but uh, I guess that's, that's the next year in a nutshell, stop and go.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think people are going to have to download lots of podcasts, uh, you know, bring along their Kindles because it was, yeah, it was a really, it was a pretty slow ride. Um, I feel like the one thing that public transit usually has going for it is that when it's working properly, get you into a city a lot faster than you could driving sitting in traffic but it seemed like this ride it was sort of a watch you know that that we didn't really stop anywhere for any significant amount of time but it was just slow there were enough pauses that it just i think that it's a noticeable change for people
0: This has been Metro Apocalypse, our attempt to make sense of the mess that is WMATA. Next week, we'll explore how the end of late-night service will affect nightlife in Washington. We'll also look at how Metro's problems compared to systems in New York and the Bay Area and elsewhere. And we'll break down some of the jargon you've been hearing about Metro of late. Please send us feedback and story ideas at metro at WAMU.org. You can also join our new Facebook group, more details at WAMU.org slash metro. Apocalypse is produced and edited by Brendan Sweeney, John Ogolnick, Chris Chester, and Joe Warminsky. with engineering help from Timmy Olmsted. Special thanks to Chris Lewis, Kathleen Allenbaugh, and Chris Baranofsky, and Philip Zelnar. Our theme track, Fingernail Grit, is by Poddington Bear. WMU's Director of Content is Andy McDaniel. I'm Martin DeCaro.
2: I'm Martine Powers. Thanks for listening.